Good morning. Welcome to Eastern Shore Baptist Church's podcast. My name is Stuart Davidson. I'm so thrilled that you have decided to tune in this week. I certainly hope that today's message will be both encouraging to you, but also I pray that it will be convicting. You can find out more about our church by visiting www.myesbc.net. God bless you and look forward to seeing you soon at church. I heard this story once of a hospital administrator who was startled to see a patient uh, fleeing down the hall of his operating room. And this patient was running so fast, his hospital gown had flapped open, and you could see that he had fear in his eyes. He was red with sweat. He looked like he was in a great deal of panic. And this hospital administrator was able to stop this patient. And he said, do you mind telling me why you seem to be running away? Specifically, it looks like you're running away from the operating room. What is going on? And the patient looked at him with these crazy eyes, and he said, well, sir, it was because of what the nurse said. And the hospital administrator responded, well, what did she say? She said, be brave. An appendectomy is quite a simple procedure. And the hospital administrator, a little confused, looked at him and said, well, I mean, yeah, uh, an appendectomy is quite a a simple procedure. I would imagine that would give you uh, some comfort, maybe some peace. And he said, no, sir, she didn't say that to me. She said it to the doctor. (laughs) Doubt is is a tricky thing, isn't it? Have you, ever, have you ever doubted your doctor? Ever gone to get a second opinion? I imagine most of us have. Have you ever doubted a boss? Has the boss ever told you to do something? Maybe you didn't think that that was the right course of action. Maybe you doubted him. Raise your hand if you've ever doubted your husband. I'm kidding, don't, don't do that. We've, I know a lot of ladies' hands would go up. Maybe you've doubted your wife. Maybe you've had moments in your marriage where you've just kind of wondered, am I really doing what I'm supposed to be doing? Have you ever doubted your children? Have you ever doubted yourself? Have you ever doubted your own parenting skills? As a father of three, I I know that I often sort of scratch my head and wonder, boy, did I make the right call there? Did Did I send them down the right avenue? Now, here's the tricky question. Have you ever doubted God? Have you ever doubted Jesus? Have you ever doubted his word? Now, I know I'm, I'm preaching a little bit here to the choir because here you are in church. So none of us would probably step forward immediately and say, yes, uh, I have doubted uh, Jesus or I've doubted God or I've doubted God's word or, or maybe I've doubted a trusted leader in my life that represents sort of all of these spiritual characteristics that I hold true. But I think if we're being honest with ourselves, especially if you begin to read throughout the pages of Scripture, you're confronted with people who've doubted God. Over and over and over again, you're confronted with people that have questioned God's authority in their life. You question whether or not Jesus is who he said he was. So this morning, if you want to, fill in this first blank. How do you respond to doubt? 
How do you respond to doubt? By the way, I'm not talking about doubting your parents. I'm not talking about doubting your boss or your doctor. I'm specifically talking about how do you respond to doubt in spiritual terms? How do you respond to doubt in your faith or in the Bible or in Jesus or in prayer or doing other spiritual activities? How do you respond to that kind of doubt? Now this morning, if you want to, again, open your Bibles to Luke chapter 7, verses 18 through 30. I want to give you a little bit of context as far as what's going on here. Again, at the very beginning of Luke's gospel, we're confronted with this character by the name of John the Baptist. John was considered a, a faithful forerunner to Jesus himself. He was the one that was calling out in the wilderness, making a path straight for the soon-to-be-coming Messiah. Yet something happens to John between the, the chapters of Luke chapter 3 and Luke chapter 7. Verses, uh, chapters 1 through 3, we see John as this really big personality. I mean, someone who is steadfast in his faith, someone that is steadfast in his knowledge of God and what God has called him to do, someone that's steadfast in the knowledge of who Jesus is, but something takes place in, in chapters 3 through 7 that shakes John's faith, and it makes him question everything that he had once held dear in his life. So the, the big question is this, what is it that knocked John down? What is it that robbed John of his faith and made him begin to question and made him begin to doubt? I will give you a one-word answer, and the one-word answer is this, life. Life knocked John down. Life uh, just kind of punched John right in the faith. The same life that knocks us down. The same life that when everything is going great, slaps us across the face and leaves us broken and busted. John, by the way, if you go back and look at his resume, John had done nothing but spread God's message about the coming Messiah, and yet he's been imprisoned by the ruthless Herod and his wife. Matthew's version of the story states explicitly that John, at the point of Luke chapter 7, that he was in jail. He was in prison. And it was at this moment of doubt and discouragement that John sends his disciples to Jesus to ask him a very peculiar question. A question, by the way, that he already knew the answer to. He knew that the answer was that Jesus was the Messiah, and yet he still doubted. John had probably seen miracles during his own ministry. The same guy who baptized literally thousands of people in the desert. The same fella who, who had been faithful to God's call has wound up in jail. And to make things worse, John had been sentenced to death and later would be beheaded. And you can imagine how discouraged and how downcast John was at this particular point in his life. So this morning we come to Luke chapter 7, verses 18 through 28. Specifically, Jesus, if you go back and read the earlier portions of John chapter 7, has already healed the centurion servant, remember, who was dying of the fever. And Jesus just said, be so, and he was healed. And then right after that, last week, we, he's coming into the town of Nain, and he's confronted with the widow whose son had died and whose, uh, whose husband had died. And then Jesus raises this boy up from the dead. 
And so now John is now sending his disciples in, questioning Jesus, are you really the one? Quote. And we see Jesus' response. And so John is doubtful, but I will say this, Jesus is daring. Let's read together this morning again from Luke chapter 7, verses 18, specifically through 28. And I'm reading this morning from the ESV. It says this in verse 18, The disciples of John reported all these things to him, and John, calling two of his disciples to him, sent them to the Lord, saying, by the Lord there, we're talking about Jesus, Are you the one who is to come, or shall I look for another? And when the men had come to them, they said, John the Baptist has sent us to you, saying, Are you the one who is to come, or shall we look for another? In that hour, he healed many people of their diseases and plagues and evil spirits, and on many whom were blind, and he bestowed sight. That being Jesus did all those things. In verse 22, And he answered them, Go and tell John what you've seen and heard. The blind receive their sight, the lame walk, lepers are cleansed, and the deaf hear, the dead are raised up, the poor have good news preached to them, and blessed is the one who is not offended by me. When John's messengers had gone, Jesus began to speak to the crowds concerning John. What did you go out into the wilderness to see? A reed shaken in the wind? What then did you go out to see? A man dressed in soft clothing? Behold, those who are dressed in splendid clothing and live in luxury are in the king's courts. What then did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes, I tell you, even more than a prophet, this is he of whom it is written, Behold, I send my messenger before your face who will prepare your way before you. In verse 28, I tell you, among those born of women, none is greater than John, yet the one who is least in the kingdom of God is greater than he. When all the people heard this, and the tax collectors too, they declared God just, having been baptized by the, with the baptism of John. But the Pharisees and the lawyers rejected the purpose of, of God for themselves, not having been baptized for him, from him. So uh, the other day I was reading in a scientific journal and they were talking a little bit about this little interesting marine life. As someone who lives on the coast, I'm always fascinated by marine life, but I'd never heard of this little organism. It's called a whelk. Maybe those of you who fish or who, who know a great deal about uh, oysters know about the whelk. It's almost a microscopic organism. And this little whelk on the end of its tail has what they, what you would look at almost like a corkscrew. And this whelk will go down to an oyster and it will use its corkscrew and it will drill just the smallest of holes into this oyster. And it will go down into the oyster and little by little, after time after time, it will begin to suck all the nutrients out of that oyster until finally the oyster is dead and dry up completely, the whelk having done its work. When I read that story and I was being illuminated by God's word, I thought to myself, you know, that's what doubt does, isn't it? Doubt is like a whelk. It's, it has like a corkscrew and it drills down into the marrow of our bones. It drills down into, into our spirits and souls and little by little, it does its work. It sucks out all the nutrients of our lives. It sucks out all the faith that we've stored up and built up. And at the end of the day, if we let it, doubt can not only discourage us, but it can flat out defeat us as well. Boy, this little seed of doubt had been planted into John's spirit. 
And John had allowed that doubt to grow. And it almost robbed John of his faith. And he began to question. So if doubt is dangerous, if it's like that welt drilling down into an oyster, sucking out all of its nutrients, well, how did John defeat it? And by the way, John did defeat his doubt. And I believe that there are some practical applications for us today on how we can defeat our doubt. And so let's look at Roman number one. How did John battle doubt? Roman number one, John was transparent. John was transparent. In verses 18 and 19, it says, The disciples of John reported all these things to him. And John, in verse 19, calling two of his disciples to him, sent to the Lord, saying, Are you the one who is to come, or shall we look for another? Now, my former church is First Baptist Church of Montgomery. I was the student pastor there for the better part of eight years. First Baptist Church of Montgomery is a large church, and it not only is a large numerically, but it's also large physically. It has rather large buildings. So big, in fact, they've actually got two different sanctuaries. One of the sanctuaries is called Stakely Sanctuary. Stakely Sanctuary is more than 150 years old, and when you walk inside of it, it's really a beautiful structure. Along the sides of Stakely Sanctuary are these gorgeous stained glass windows. These stained glass windows tell the story of the Bible going all the way from Genesis all the way to Revelation. At the centerpiece of it all is Jesus. Well, years and years ago, long before I was ever there, First Baptist Church decided that they needed to protect these stained glass windows. After all, they are priceless, literally priceless works of art. And so what they did is they put a mask over the stained glass windows on the outside, hoping that it would, might prevent some type of damage or some type of vandalism. And it did. The, the, the structure that they placed in front of the glass did exactly what it was supposed to do. It protected the glass. But sadly, when you walk into the interior of Stakely Sanctuary, you can see these stained glass windows, and they're beautiful. But you know what they don't do anymore? They don't shine. They don't shine. The, the structures that they've placed on the outside have, have prevented the glass from being as transparent as they need to be. And you know what happens when stained glass window loses its transparency? It loses its power. They don't shine the way that they were made to shine. Well, friend, I believe that you and I, people, we are meant to be like stained glass windows. We are meant to shine. But in order for us to shine, we have to be transparent. We've got to allow the Lord to shine through us. In verses 18 and 19, we're introduced to a very transparent John the Baptist. John was frustrated. He was probably disillusioned. He was discouraged. After all, he was in jail and soon to be beheaded. No doubt John knew what was coming his way. And this was the low point of John's life. And you would feel the exact same. Was John faithful to God's call? Yes. Did he step aside as a, as a teacher, prophet, and leader so that Jesus' ministry could flourish? Absolutely. So where did all of this faithfulness lead John? It led him to jail, to the gallows. 
And chances are you've been there before. You've been faithful. You've been good. You've been giving. You pray and pray and pray. And still you feel that God has given you no answer. You feel that you, you lost that job. You're still stuck in a dead-end career. You prayed for God's help. You studied really hard. And guess what? You still bombed the test. It's frustrating, isn't it? And you begin to ask questions like John asked. God, do you care? God, are you even there? God, can you hear me? Why, God, don't you respond? As I look around the room this morning, I see people sort of, yeah, I've been there before. I know what that's like. Preacher, you're right. That is frustrating. So the question this morning is this. What do you do with all that doubt? What do you do with all those questions I'll tell you what most people do. Most people cover it up. Most people hide. Most people never say a word. We don't talk about it, and we certainly don't want to admit to church people, or any people for that matter, that we're struggling and doubting. Instead of being transparent, we cover our feelings and frustrations. We, we cover it hoping that no one sees that we are actually human beings. Did y'all hear the news just this past week of a pastor of a large megachurch who got so down he became so worried, he became so fearful, he was racked with anxiety that this pastor of a large mega church, unable to share his feelings, unable to get the things off of his chest, feeling he had no one to talk to, he committed suicide. Brothers and sisters, we better start being real with one another. We better start admitting to one another right here and right now that we are all human beings, that every single person in this room has flaws and issues. We need to stop pretending that we've all got it figured out. Friends, I'll tell you right now, I'm a pastor and I don't have hardly any of it figured out. I'm here by the grace of God and by the mercy of Jesus Christ. I need you to help me. There have been times in my life where I have really, really struggled. Times in my life that I'm, I'll be transparent with you right now, where I've had to go to counseling, where I've had to go to therapy because I needed help. I needed somebody to talk to. And some of us were so busy playing this game of I've got to be the strong Christian. Friend, God doesn't use strong Christians. God uses weak Christians. Be transparent. Don't be like the stained glass that's been covered up, oh, we gotta be protective. Heaven forbid something happened to that precious stained glass and in protecting it, we lose the purpose and we lose the power of it. John got real. Can you imagine John the Baptist? This man got real. He, he brought his trusted disciples in. He says, guys, I don't know. I'm having a crisis of faith. I'm having a crisis of, I don't even know, is Jesus even there? Is he real? Is he really the one? This is John, the infant that leapt for joy when he was in the presence of Jesus. The same John that when baptized Jesus, the whole heaven split open, heard the audible voice of God and the Spirit of God descending like a dove. This is the same man that witnessed Jesus do all these incredible things, and he still doubted. Man, I appreciate the fact that John was that transparent, that he was that real, and that if John can be that real, I can be that real. If you look in the Bible, 
and you think about all the people that made the most impact, it was the people that admitted that they didn't have it all figured out. It was the people that doubted in themselves and doubted in God. It was the people that weren't afraid to be human. Moses was a self-proclaimed lousy speaker, and he doubted his ability to go before the Pharaoh. David, y'all, David was an adulterer and a murderer. Abraham and Sarah doubted God could properly fit her body to give birth to a son. What about Peter? What about Andrew? What about James? What about John? Every single one of them, the very first time we meet them, they stink at fishing, and it's sad because that's their job. They're horrible at it. And Jesus says, listen, why don't you take what you're horrible at, why don't you come with me, and maybe I can make you good at something. Notice that John's transparent question, it puts him on a journey of faith with Jesus. Doubt, friends, I'll just tell you right now, doubt is not a sign of weakness, but it's a sign of growth. Doubting God is painful and frightening because we think that we're leaving God behind, but what we're really doing is we're leaving the idea that we have of God behind, and we're grabbing on to a new God, this God that's bigger than what we could have ever dreamed of, and that's what we are grasping hold of. Doubt forces us to look at who we think God is and discover that God is so much bigger than we could have ever imagined. To battle doubt, John got real about where he was and he was unashamed to admit that he was a human being with real emotions, with real fears. And I think that we could all learn a thing or two about John. I think we could all learn a thing or two from him. Philip Yancey, one of my favorite authors, listen to what he says, doubt is the skeleton in the closet of faith. And I know no better way to treat a skeleton than to bring it out in the open and expose it for what it is. Not something to hide or fear, but a a hard structure on which living tissue may grow. Jude chapter 1 verse 22, be merciful on those who doubt. (laughs) That's a good one, right? Be merciful on those who doubt. How did John battle doubt? He was transparent. Number two, John also had a great team. On two different occasions, we see that uh, these men come to John, they go to Jesus, then they come back to John. Fill in these blanks, Roman number one, two, and three, or A, B, and C. One, his friends, John's team, they were promising. They were an encouraging bunch of guys. They were an encouraging bunch of guys. Uh, Number two, John's team was prayerful. They take John's need to Jesus. Now, in this case, they did it physically. But in our case, we do it prayerfully. When you have the need of a brother, you take that need to Jesus prayerfully. And then look at Roman numeral three. John, his friends were persistent. They were persistent. They went back to John with Jesus' response. One of my favorite movies, well, animated movies, is Shrek. You ever seen Shrek? Most of you have. It's been out long enough now that, that it's been like on cable TV. Like some of you are already like remembering the lines from Donkey and all that, right? Okay, so this is great. I, I love Shrek. Shrek, the, specifically the first movie, Shrek is this horrible ogre. Um, he lives in a swamp. He has horrible habits. And he really just wants people to leave him alone, okay? 
really just wants people to leave him alone, let him be an ogre, let him do his thing. And at the very beginning of the movie, we see Shrek's swamp being infiltrated by all of these other fantasy characters. So he goes to uh, the town that's sending all these people there. And he says, listen, I'm just an ogre. I want to have my swamp. Leave me alone. So the king of the town says, listen, we will give you your swamp back if you go save this princess. Do you remember her name? Fiona, right? Princess Fiona. If you go save Princess Fiona, we will give you your swamp back. So Shrek sets out on a journey. And while he's on this journey, he meets this incredible character. He meets a talking donkey, which, by the way, is biblical. Some people that don't know the Bible just look at me and like, what? No, it is. It's in the Bible. It's true. Okay? So, so Shrek meets this talking donkey with, uh, with the creative name of Donkey. And as he's going through all these adventures, the, constantly he's trying to get rid of Donkey. Donkey, go away. Donkey, leave me alone. Donkey, I don't need you. And every time he meets one obstacle and Donkey helps him. Every time he comes against some type of, of problem, Donkey's there to help. Every time Shrek gets down, there's Donkey. And yet the whole movie is trying to get rid of Donkey. Until finally at the end of the movie, Donkey really serves this tremendous purpose and Shrek realizes, you know what, I can't do this alone. I'm really glad I've got this talking donkey with me. Now I know that that may be a, a somewhat childish example, but I believe that movie illustrates what true friendship looks like. True friendships won't abandon you. True friendships will stick with you. True friends encourage you, instead of allowing you to be dragged down. Now, John's got some pretty good friends. These friends are also disciples or followers of John. These men would have been familiar with uh, John's plight. They would have known that he's in jail. They would have known that he's heading for the gallows. They would have seen their master discouraged, and no doubt John had talked to them about the fears and the worries that he had. Notice that these friends, what they do for John in verse 18, we see that they report all these things to John. That's an important statement, by the way. What things did they report? They reported that Jesus had just raised up people from the dead. Notice that Jesus had healed the servant and that he had raised to life the widow of Nain's son. That's big news. That's encouraging news. These men see their master down and they do everything they can to uplift his spirits. They remind John about Jesus' identity and they tell John of Jesus' proof and his purpose. And friends, I really believe that this illustrates a powerful point. When you're doubting God, don't trust your feelings, trust what you know. These friends remind John, 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 slow down, John. Because what you're saying is in conflict with what you already know. John, Jesus is raising people from the dead. He's healing all these people from their diseases. John, don't you remember when you baptized Jesus? Don't you remember what you saw with your own eyes? Don't you remember what you saw, John? John is feeling doubtful, and yet these friends are saying, listen, John, don't, don't trust your feelings. Your feelings will lead you astray. Not only did these men remind John about who Jesus is and what Jesus is doing, they went to Jesus on John's behalf. What they did physically, again, we should do prayerfully. If you're down or discouraged or doubting, enlist the help of prayer warriors to lift you up to the Lord. 
Have them pray for you. Have them pray for strength and renewal. And yes, this means, this means that you will have to open up. We will have to be transparent and say, man, I'm really struggling here. But I really believe in the power of prayer. And I believe that it can encourage and help. The devil will convince you that sharing your pain with other people will result in judgment and condemnation and abandonment. And this is not true. It's a lie straight out of the pit of hell itself. There are more people that want to help us than hurt us. There's a lot of teams in the Bible. David had Jonathan. Moses had Aaron. Adam had Eve. Jesus had his disciples. Paul had Barnabas. John the Baptist had these faithful disciples. So the big question today is this, who is on your team? Who can you go to when it seems darkest in your life? Who can you connect with that you know that person will pray for you, that you know that person will speak encouragement to you, that you know that person has got your back and he will not abandon you, where can you go? If you think that the answer is nowhere, you need to stop that because that's not true. You absolutely have places you can go, people that you can talk to and people that love you. In Proverbs chapter 11, verse 14 it says this, a peop, uh, where there is no guidance, <clears throat> a people falls, but in an abundance of counselors, there is safety. We need each other. Last point is this. So how did John battle doubt? How should we battle doubt? John was transparent. He got real about his humanness. Roman numeral two, John had a team, people that he could go to and talk to and pray with, people that loved him, people that said, John, we will be praying for you and we want to encourage you. But then Roman numeral three, John trusted. John trusted. In verses 22 and 23, uh, Jesus says, and he answered them, go and tell them, John, go and tell John what you've heard and seen. The blind receive their sight, the lame walk, lepers are cleansed, and the deaf hear, and the dead are raised up, and the poor have good news preached to them, and blessed is the one who is not offended by me. For the doubter, never think for a second that God is not moving. I had a church member call me last Monday, as a matter of fact, and this church member was really struggling. He was thinking thoughts, feeling feelings that he had really been racking, dealing with for quite some time. And he said, Stuart, I just feel like every time I pray, I feel like my prayers are bouncing off the walls. I feel like they're not getting to God. And I said, oh, brother, it's not true. It's just not true. I said, let, let me be Jesus for you. Listen to my voice. God loves you. God has forgiven you. God has a plan and a purpose for your life. Do you know, by the way, that God may have put you right in the direct path of someone so that you can be the voice of Jesus to them? Now, you're not Jesus, but you can be the voice of Jesus. You can be that encourager. You can be that person that says, I'm with you. I'm not going to leave you. We can trust Jesus together. Remember what you know, not what you feel. And Jesus also gives John a really interesting little nugget. That part where Jesus talks about the lame and the blind and the deaf, that comes from the prophet Isaiah. 
someone that John the Baptist would have been very, very familiar with. Listen to what Isaiah chapter 35, verses 5 and 6 says. Then will the eyes of the blind be opened and the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then the lame will leap like a deer and the mute tongue shall shout for joy. Water will gush forth in the wilderness and in the streams of the desert. So all of these things were meant to say, John, relax. Trust me. It's going to be okay. So things turned out really good for John, right? He was released and went back to the desert and continued his ministry, correct? No. No. John was never released. And Herod eventually had him, had him beheaded. At least on the earthly side of things, it seemed that John got the wrong end of that deal. Yet, on the heavenly side of things, John got the right side of the deal. How do I know that? Listen to what Paul says in Philippians chapter 1, verses 18 through 24. Yes, and I will continue to rejoice. For I know that through your prayers and through God's provision of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, what has happened to me will turn out for my deliverance. I eagerly expect and hope that I will in no way be ashamed, but I will have sufficient courage so that now, as always, Christ will be exalted in my body, whether, whether I live or whether I die. For to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. In our humanity, we might look at John and think, boy, John, Jailed, beheaded. But you know what? Paul even had a, a better understanding. Sometimes to be absent from this world means to be at Jesus' feet. And that's even better. But Paul also understood that while he's on planet Earth, he's got work to do. And the only thing that's going to release him from that work is death. Death that the Lord delivers to us. And so, friend, I will remind you that, yes, sadly, John doubted. But through John's doubt, think of all the people that Jesus, in response to John's doubt, all the people that were healed and felt the hand of God moving in their life. Don't allow doubt to dismember you. Don't allow doubt to tear you apart. Make a decision today. Instead of doubting, make a decision, a conscious choice to stay devoted. It's my hope this morning that you'll take all of this information and turn it into your inspiration.